0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Miradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. It is my honor to welcome to the program today my good friend Steve Deal, a retired United States Navy captain who was the executive director of the 2018 Education for Sea Power Study and Report, who also served as the Deputy Chief of Staff to the Secretary of the Navy and the Deputy Chief Learning Officer of the Department of the Navy. He's now a Senior Advisor at the Department of Homeland Security. He is also the author of a thought provoking piece that is now on our website, What is Broken About Naval Education? He is joined by his longtime collaborator in uniform, our producer, Chris Cervello, who is also the co host of the Cavas Ships podcast. Gentlemen, Uh, It is absolutely terrific having you both, uh, having both of you on the show, talking about a subject that all three of us are very passionate about. Thank you, Vago. It's an honor. Thanks for having us, Vago. Uh, an absolute pleasure. Before we get started, a word from our sponsors Bell sponsors our daily coverage, HII sponsors our global coverage, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage, and GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval coverage. Uh, Steve? Uh, it's, uh, it's great to have you uh, on the program. Uh, a terrific piece, and thanks uh, for sending it to us. And obviously, it's on our website, so I commend everybody to, to read it. Um, you and Chris uh, worked on a vast assortment of initiatives to craft uh, the force of the future, the Navy of the future. And, and uh, you did that during your Navy tenure, uh, whether you were working for Mike Mullen, whether you were working for Bill Moran, whether you were working for Richard Spencer or, or Tom Modley. Uh, And you even worked it at a DOD level when you worked for uh, a a guy who was just an absolutely terrific uh, undersecretary for personnel and readiness, Brad Carson, who was working the force of the future on behalf of then uh, defense secretary, uh, the late Dr. Ash Carter. Um, You know, even though you guys got ideas from the army and, uh, you know, a variety of other places, the Navy in particular has lagged. And this is kind of a historic uh, thing. Uh, until very recently, which we'll discuss, why why is education first so important at crafting the force of the future, and especially the Navy of the future?
1: Well, thanks for the question, Pago. Thank you for having me on. We've been talking and uh, dreaming about this moment for a few years. Uh, you're right, Chris and I have, have uh, worked pretty hard on these things behind the scenes um, for some very visionary leaders. You named most of them. Um, you know, it was an honor to do so. Uh you know, I think it's all about opportunity. You know, all that is America is, is trying to prove yourself uh, worthy, uh, worthy for a chance to lead. And um, education, if you think about it for all of us, as we grew up and went to public schools or private schools and throughout our our careers, um, education is what made us who we are. And I, I can't think of a single person who uh, at the level that we are hired does not look back and go wow that that person made a difference in my life or else I, uh, I had an opportunity to reflect and think or the the readings that I did the things I was introduced to made me who I am um made me the learning leader that I I wanted to be or that I never imagined I could be so that that first thing I think would be just opportunity it's just purely american um the second thing I think uh why in education is so important is that education is kind of the how and talent management is a why. What I mean by that is education reveals talents, uh, reveals what you might be good at. You go to school, you go to college, you take some courses and you realize you have some ideas or, or something you never imagined was within you. And uh, you're revealed through education in a lot of ways and your, and your future is revealed that way. Uh, and a lot of us can't really map that out. Uh, uh, most of us can't, but education provides that opportunity. Um, again, purely American thing that um, it, it is an amazing thing. Uh, so revealing talents, uh, and then the se- third thing I would think is um, just the the technical competency. Professional schools that the Navy and Air Force, Army, Marine Corps, Space Force all have um, that allow you to get into your profession whether it be aviation or driving a submarine nuclear engineering you know missile or whatever it might be um these are some pretty good schools um and and we would call that training uh, where we help someone learn what they would need to know what we already know um or hope we know to be able to operate those platforms and fight the wars of the future but education um is about imagining what we don't know and that takes a whole lot of uh, a, a different concept altogether. So uh, I think all those leaders you named Vago understood those three points. And uh, that's what motivated them every day to come to work and make a difference. Um, and uh, very important for all of us.
0: What? Why? What is it? You know, the Navy has always had a much more applied bent. Right. Um, There is schooling when you're uh, underway. Uh, And if you went back a long time ago, right, I mean, midshipmen were tutored and finally they became past officers and and what have you. But right. You were you tended to be away from the schoolhouse, right? The Air Force and the Army uh, much uh, closer to it. I mean, the last big uh, innovation in naval education really were the three captains, uh, uh, you know, Ernest King, uh, Dudley Knox and Bill Pye. Uh, uh, who came up uh, with uh, their report in 1919 to sort of uh, completely change naval education. Um, Why is it that the Navy has lagged? You know, when you were working for Bill Moran, and Bill Moran was chief of naval personnel, uh, Jim McConville, the uh, future uh, great chief uh, of the United States Army, was the G1 uh, working army personnel issues. Uh, and yet you found the absorption of some of these ideas that Jim was working to be difficult. Why has why the Navy lagged behind the other services so badly in this field? Well, I'm, I'm not one to, to judge about
1: lagging uh, uh, the other services. I think each service has their own um, you know, high points and others. Uh, I would say for the Navy, we, we are a platform-based organization. You know Everything you learn from professional schools on is about how to operate that aircraft, submarine, surface ship, whatever it is, and um, learn it uh, like the back of your hand. Know your ship, know your people. you probably heard that before. But knowing that ship and knowing understanding it's warfighting capacity and knowing how to operate it uh, in harm's way, uh, that is the number one thing that uh, the Navy asks us to do. Unfortunately, it's also – Something that probably prevents us from approaching the, the infinite nature of education as uh, and appreciating what it is. I'd say also the the way we approach requirements from the top down regarding uh, platforms. You know we we have uh, APIs, we have uh, CEPs, we have all these different uh, acronyms and measures for how those platforms would perform in combat. But how do we measure uh, education? Uh, how do we measure return on investment? And uh, you know, when Chris and I were working on this for Admiral Moran, we used to, we went far and wide. Uh, we went to GE, Crotonville, talked to them at their campus. Uh, we went to Merck, uh, we went to Deloitte, we went to um, Microsoft, many other places. And the same question was asked everywhere: Vodka was, how do I measure return on investment? And uh, I will never forget, uh, Chris. You probably remember this when we were with Admiral Moran at. Uh, at Crotonville, and we're sitting there at the table. This beautiful place, where it's all you know, everything is is designed for the most immersive and impactful learning experience. And a, a group of bright faced young people came through the door by thirty or forty. And I said, "Who are those people?" They come through, and you know they're bouncing in I'm like that's the cohort for the whatever junior executives program, whatever it was. And I'm like, "Well, how do you keep those people in?" And this is my old mindset talking and, and the, uh, kind of the, the provost of the Crotonville campus said, why would you build fences for this? Why would you keep them in? And I never forgot that. Right. Um, and, and that, uh, I think, you know, turn my head around a little bit and everybody else at the, at the table, but also miss think, wow, we, we're kind of, uh, in, encapsulated by that, that naval mentality of, well, we have to keep people in order to do the things we do in order to fight and win using the platforms we have um, completely different thought look than they had. And it, it changed mine.
0: Fascinating uh, to see um, how uh, some, uh, you know, employee uh, education uh, the opportunities, how you reward it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it ties to the personnel system. Uh, you know, do you have the time in order to be able to do it? Is it valued? Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people are looking at this and saying, "Hey, wait a minute, does it help my promotion uh, or not?" Chris, I want to bring you into the discussion. You graduated from the United States Naval Academy. You also went to the Naval Postgraduate School, uh, which is one of the finest educational institutions that the Department uh, Department of Defense and, in fact, the nation. Uh, has. Uh, you were lucky to to attend when you were a junior officer. Um, from your standpoint, how did we get here, right? Uh, how did we get here? Because the Navy has no shortage of smart people, nor actually some of the, you know, true strategists in this game. We know some of them, whether it's Jim Stavridis or Harlan Ullman, our mutual friend, uh, who, um, you know, is, is very thoughtful on naval issues, Jerry Hendricks and what have you. How do we get here, Chris, from,
2: from your standpoint? Because you have to understand that if you're going to dig your way out of it. Just to piggyback on what Steve said, I, I think we got here because we're a service that believes in nothing, right? It's not the first time that you've heard me say this. We are a parochial, as Steve said, platform-driven service. We don't have an ideology that nets us together. You, you've heard me argue, and those that listen to the Ships podcast have heard me argue for many, many episodes where we lack the sea power Um, driver that maybe the other services have, right? If you're in the Army, you're driven by land power. If you're in the Air Force, you're driven by air power. Um, Those of us in the Navy and Navalists would hope that you are driven by sea power, but as a service, we're not. And so then when you talk about education, you have to wonder um, why we devolve into really training or we devolve into career milestone-based Uh, education um, milestones and not a um education system and an education continuum that reaffirms and builds a cadre of folks that understand and feed into sea power right and so I wouldn't want a service I wouldn't want everyone to get a master's degree in sea power but I would want folks to have a master's degree in economics I would want them to have master's degree in um ge- you know geopolitics or in um, other um uh, humanities that feed into Cpower but as a service since we don't really use that as a um, as a guide, um, it's hard to create an education continuum that everybody buys into. And so what you get is you get, um, education for education's sake. You get, hey, you're an 3 you need to go get this education or hey, you're an 4 you've got some time, um, why don't we send you to the war college? And when you get to the war college, they'll figure out what they uh, they want to send you to. Hey, we've got a gap at um, at the National War College, we need to send a pilot or a PAO or a you know pick whatever community you're from, hey, go to the National War College. And if you're lucky, if you're a Stavridis or a Har- Harlan Ullman or, you know, any of these other folks that sort of stand stand out as uh the the smart and educated, you figured out a way or you had C daddies or C mamas that helped you find what was best for you. And again, while they're great people and they do great things, it doesn't really help the overall. Um, education of the Navy. I'll take a breath there, but I mean that I, I, as you can tell, I mean I, I Steve speaks much more uh, diplomatically about it because I mean he really tried to make things happen and change things. But really what frustrated me the most was that we could not get the Navy to buy into a common ethos um, to then educate too. Um, and until that changes, I think you're going to continue to have these problems.
0: Can, can I add to uh, that? Yeah, of, of course. i, I was going to say the Navy does have uh, kind of a very trade approach to to your point, Steve, and your point, Chris. Right, a very trade approach to what it does, um, as opposed to you know highfalutin educated types that have doctors in front of their name, like Doctor Stavridis, Doctor Olman, or or Doctor uh, Hendricks. Go go ahead, Steve. I just had to, felt like I had to get.
1: Well, I just think of the Robert Frost directive, you know, back out of all this now, you know, this is, let's begin with the the end in mind and imagine strategic leaders that we want at the highest levels to be able to espouse um, naval dominance, naval supremacy within the world. And you think about those who uh, did that in uh, the last 70 years or so, 80 years and you can imagine those conversations. You, you would expect those leaders to be prepared intellectually, the shoulder to shoulder, with some of the nation's brightest and best. And, and you know, we, we've all served at a pretty high level. These people are pretty competitive. It is a jump ball for the national security of the United States at any time. And if the leader of our country, the political leaders are intelligent, most of them are, they realize they're probably not the smartest people in the room. They listen, and they want to invoke arguments around them and get the best point of views. President Kennedy was Kennedy was really good at that. Uh if you listen to the tapes. Um, and so the resourcing, the strategy, the requirements, the, we have to have folks who are intellectual equals there in that room. And if we're not preparing them for that, then what are we doing? Um I would say that is why uh when we when we navalists, and I I would consider myself one, um why we don't have uh, sea power as Chris said or, or, or naval power they're resonant in our in our strategies um the folks in state commerce um they they don't know uh what naval education could bring them because where are our officers there where are the people there could tell them um, how are we orchestrating that uh, I'm not saying that we would be the leaders but we certainly should be the coagulant of, of Naval statesmanship. And I know Secretary uh, Del Toro has been talking about that, some great words, but um, there is just so much potential there. Uh, the Navy doesn't realize what it has. We have, in, in my article I talked about, the Army officers, who tug at my uniform out there, outside the wire, right. almost all the time. Hey, I went to the Naval War College. We don't realize what we've had, what, what Naval power is. To, to greater power and grand strategy worldwide and for the progress of democracy. Um, and we we missed the point. And so we, we again, like you said, go tactical and we're all about platforms and uh, and that's how we, we pick our officers. If you weren't very good at your uh, platform, you're not going to succeed. Right, Roger that, probably good. But at some point there needs to be a transition uh, to strategic leadership, so you can have those folks who can go shoulder to shoulder with those who are really leading this nation. And uh, I'm not sure we're there.
0: Um, let me uh, ask uh, Steve uh, and and then uh, Chris, I've got a couple of questions for you uh, in a moment. You know, you noted that uh, uh, Navy Secretary Carlos Del Toro does deserve uh, credit uh, for quietly releasing a report that actually may be moving, uh, the service in the right direction right and and a lot of these things are often released with great fanfare and then every once in a while you have something very important that actually doesn't have uh y- you know as much fireworks going off uh around it um what did uh secretary del toro get right uh in in what he just released because i think there are many people who don't even know that this thing has been released actually
1: right well, you know, he called that naval education strategy, and he dropped education for sea power. I understand that um, uh, a lot of political wins, as I said, in my piece over time. Um, it, you know, what we did in the past was a, was an apolitical effort. Um, Chris, you can back me up or not on that, but, but you know, this is a, you can draw a straight line from what we were trying to do with uh, Admiral Moran all the way down to uh, education for sea power. Um, and I, and my hats off to. Secretary del Toro for picking this up. I know there's some pretty strong folks who um, recommended this and uh, have been championing it and uh, pretty senior officers who are on record saying, I only wish I had approached education like I should have when I was in, in power. So I'm sure all those, those um, you know voices are, are there for the secretary. Uh, but he boiled down what we had done in that 470-some page document uh, down to its critical elements. And, um, you know, if, if we were going to restart it or restate it for a, a new administration, which is a polar opposite of the previous, I think that, pro- that proves the apolitical nature of trying to make uh, enable sources better for our, our people and their families and, and understanding the central role of education and talent management. So they say all the right things in the uh, in the strategy. Uh, it's very gratifying to read it, Vago. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that uh, if I were going to give any kind of advice, it would be how what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? Um, and what are the measures of effectiveness to do that? And the reason why you have a Pentagon, why it's so close to the Capitol is the budget. Um, so what strategy is going to drive that budget and how are you going to make that happen? Uh, those are the things that really matter. And, and the last thing I'll say on that is you really got to have someone close to the secretary. If education is warfare and able like we think it should be, um, then I don't care what you call it, CLO, ABC, one, two, three, whatever. Someone has to be close to him as the owner of that portfolio. And there's so many things that that person can help the secretary with, not just education. Sitting at the table, as I did many times, and Chris did, uh, or you know, I, listening to the problems of the day, Ukraine or uh, global migration or what whatever it might be. Um, and having someone with that portfolio to be able to provide a lens and a toolbox to be able to go back out and say, "Okay, well, I've got all these folks who uh, I know through my career in academia, um, bringing in the bear to to provide uh, a kaleidoscopic effect for the for the secretary as to what could be possible, what not how things are, but uh, what they could be." And um, that's an invaluable thing in those conversations at that level for the secretary to hear. And I I don't know if it's happening for him or not, but um, I would hope the strategy would get him there. Chris,
0: uh, your, your sense. And uh, you know, I know that uh, you and Chris Cabas, your co-host on Cabas ships, spend uh, a lot of time analyzing uh, all of this stuff. Uh, What's, what's your sense on the uh, Secretary del Toro's effort to move the ball forward.
2: I think it's too little too late, unfortunately. I mean, you know, good, good for him that he put it out, but um, you know, we're three years into his time as secretary of the Navy. Um, I, I think that, you, you know, a secretary or a CNO or really any executive, Um, is judged by the amount of time they put towards an effort and then the amount of resources in addition to time that they put towards an effort. So to me, one document, one speech does not make um, a strategy, does not make me take something serious. So I would need to see more time. Um, I would need to see the right people sitting at the table, not just the obligatory, um, you know, rounding up of education advocates. Um, I, I would want to see money put towards this. Um, and until that happens, it's hard to take that serious. Um, Chris, how much education
0: uh, and, and Steve, I want to get your sense on this uh, too. But uh, Chris, because you and I have talked about this, right? Uh, We've all talked about this at one point. How how much education is enough education? How much is too much, right? I mean, the Air Force has been reckoning uh, with, I remember, um, you know, uh, the Air Force Chief of Staff General Welsh used to talk about, you know, okay, guys, you know, I'm not sure everybody in this room needs four advanced degrees, right? Um, You know, or or more, uh, which kind of is an Air Force hallmark. Um, How much education is enough education or the right education? And Chris, swap. why don't you start us off and then Steve, yeah. get your take.
2: So, I mean, I think that's a fair question. I I, I, I don't know the answer to that, Vago. I, I mean, I guess I would say the way I think about it is, is that I, I would not judge education, um, the level of education. I, I certainly wouldn't judge it on the individual, you know, sailor, airman, marine, soldier um, their individual um, education chops. I think you have to judge it on how educated is the force, right? Do you have um, people in the right positions that have the right appreciation and the right experience of education? So you heard Steve talk about it. If I have a master's degree in national security affairs that I got when I was an ensign, how educated am I really when I'm in 05? But if I have an appreciation for education and I know where to go and get experts from academia or industry or you know outside or or within the Navy to bring them to bear to um, help me solve a problem, I would say that I'm educated, right? I mean, I I am, I know where to get education. I know where to get information and I make an educated decision. So one, it's an appreciation for education. Two, it's a an understanding of the necessary resources and the availability of those resources that are part of the decision making. And then I would say it is an um, appreciation for those resources towards some outcome. Um, that everyone is pulling towards. That to me was what I was struck with when we went around, when we went to Boeing, when we went to Merck, when we went to GE, when we went to others outside of the military, um, there was that appreciation for the resource of education. And so therefore they seem to make better decisions. Now it doesn't mean they always made good decisions. I mean, certainly the, the poor decisions of GE and of Boeing are well-documented, but at least there was an appreciation um, so that, you, you know, if they made bad decisions and they had an appreciation for education, imagine if they hadn't had that appreciation, you know, what what uh, situation they'd be in. So I, I think instead of looking at the individual, I think you have to look at the collective. Um, and, you know, we spend a ton of money on education in the Navy. Um, and I think we have to ask ourselves, are we spending it in the right places and to the right outcome?
0: Steve, your your take on yeah. uh all of that
2: well i would say kind of the wrong question um
1: i think education is just as much about how we learn about our people as it is what our people are learning hmm. and this is the point that i think a, a lot of folks miss in the stuff we did in 2018 2019 it's there uh but
0: uh, all, all 423 pages of it steve well, it's well, there and
1: the five-page, uh, you know, decision memo that uh, the secretary signed, um, it's there. Where you know the whole point is to learn so much about our people that we we identify and groom their specific talents. So those unique skills can create a deeper bench of senior leaders for our future. And uh, the Army uh, at West Point, another one of our trips there, uh, able to listen to a talent-based branching board they were doing at the time. Is probably 2015 or so, and so the Army at West Point used the leadership laboratory approach towards their folks there, the cadets, and they would, you know, I think three different areas. They would, you know, be uh, they would take surveys uh, that were established by Department of Labor and others about what kind of talents they brought, and they kind of um, broke it out into ten or so different specific talents or uh, skills. And uh, and then they had people watching them, just like company officers at Naval Academy, tactical officers at the West Point. And they were using the same, the same kind of measurements. And then the, the cadets themselves were uh, motivated to go into a certain thing called the uh, green pages. It was like LinkedIn for them, where they were, you know, would say, Well, I've learned this language, I've written these papers, I have taken these classes, these are the kind of things I really want to do. And then they would come up with a a numeric value for this. And they would go into their branching board and and thinking, you know, my grandfather was an infantryman, my father was an infantryman. By God, I'm going to be one too. And when you look at everything, there, so wow, the Commandant of Air Defense really thinks you'd be a future general at this based on the things you uh, provided. And if we could give you an incentive, uh, we'll ensure that you get the best graduate education you can get into, uh, all on the Army, and you could have your first pick of duty station. Now you have a market based mechanism for people. To go, and then uh, the idea was that as they went through their careers, that the Army War College, again, the same thing would happen, and we'd learn. Okay, who's our, who's our, who's the next G three? Who's the next logistician? What are the different unique, differentiated talents that we could identify to continue to groom and place them strategically for uh, leadership, a deeper bench for our future? And then the last thing is, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if you had ten or twelve people in each of those? different vertical lines and the future might be that you know this is the time the Army's going to uh, rekit, reinvest you might want someone who's more heavy in acquisition for the next three or four years. Um, you might need someone like General McConville who uh, has a heart for talent management and people um, who understands these things who has those kind of educations and, and able to develop that person into the next G1 and uh, I don't think it's any uh I don't think it's any coincidence. That you had people like um, General Berger, uh, Admiral Moran, General McConville uh, chosen, which were all political uh, choices um, from the Obama administration on, um, to be talent managers. To people who understood – General C.Q.
0: Brown as well, right? Talent manager, growing talent, changing culture. Yeah. It's no coincidence that those folks were supposed
1: to lead the future force, the force of the future. So um, hopefully that helps. But I just think possibly right. the wrong question is what we learn about our people just as much as what they're learning in
0: education. Um, I, I find interesting, right? I mean, if you're a submariner, presidential unit citations, Navy unit citations is what uh, right propels you, legions of merit and all of those other things that show operational excellence tend to be reflected uh, in the job. Although every once in a while you get somebody who does have a uh, you know a financial background who ends up uh, being useful, right? I mean, I think John Greener uh you know benefited from having uh a little bit of that, uh a little bit of that experience. Chris, um we're running short on time, but I, I have two uh questions. Steve, you get the last one. But Chris, I want to ask you, you were a Naval Academy uh graduate. Um are are some of these education habits sort of baked into you, right? I mean, Steve was talking about West Point, and I know this is very hard thing to ask a Naval Academy guy about whether or not West Point might have a better beat on things. But did you do you do you get a sense that, you know, your sister academies prioritize education in a different way, whether West Point or the Air Force Academy compared to uh, the Naval Academy potentially and its approach? You know, even if it had, you know, forward minded leaders like Slapshot Carter Carter or Admiral Buck or wh- whoever who is, you know, obviously sitting in the superintendent's chair.
2: I don't necessarily think it's a matter of school. I, I mean, I I feel like the, the Naval Academy prepared me well in the four years that I was there. Um, I, I guess the question would be is, was the Navy then able to take me and carry me forward um, with that foundation that I had from the service academy, right? So, you, you know, um, right. m- morally, mentally, and physically w- was – was there a place for me to continue to grow morally, mentally, and physically in the fleet? Um, and was that important to me as a naval officer um, and for me as a leader? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I I, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I think that the other services may do it better. Um, I, again, I mean, I think that there it was more important for me to be a better public affairs officer um, and learn the traits of my job than it was right. necessarily for me to continue to grow morally, mentally, and physically. Um, and there are those at the Naval Academy that have criticized the the broader Navy for that um, and, and have wanted, you know, want a better connection between the service schools um, and what is taught at ROTC and what is then expected in the fleet. Um, so, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have to see where that goes. Uh, I
0: I think that uh, was a terrific point. Uh, We're running out of time. Steve, you get the last question. uh, And it's a question that you ask uh, at uh, the end of your piece. When will the Navy know that Naval education is no longer broken?
1: I think when it realizes the the incredible uh, incredible resources it has already. I mean, I think what Chris just said about Naval Academy. I've been mentored by some Naval Academy graduates, and I wouldn't be the person I was without them. I'm not a Naval Academy grad. I, you know, you know my background. I, my parents never would have uh, helped me uh, go to the Naval Academy. I, I don't. Sh- I'm not sure I knew what it was at 16 or 17. Um, all of us get to their places at different times, not always with their own choosing. But the Naval Academy uh, graduates some amazing mentors, and I've been very lucky to be part of them. I, I don't think the Navy realizes. The jewel it has in the Naval War College. Uh, Those Army officers, like I wrote about, are very excited about it. Uh, The Marines as well. You know, they're picked by a board, Fago. I mean, a real board, a selection board, just like the tanks we have uh, in Millington. In the Navy, we select our folks to go to uh, using another board. It's a white board that sits behind the detailer's desk. And it's whoever's available. And that's why I went to the National War College, honestly. I was coming out of Afghanistan as a PRT CO, and it was very uh, convenient uh, I, had, I had worked for Chairman Mullen before that, so my family was there. That There's no PCS move involved since Steve the National. It wasn't a strategic move for the future of the institution by far. Um, the Marine Corps University, MPS, I think Admiral is doing incredible things out there, um, trying to make education mobile and um, and and make it uh, fit uh, a, a naval, uh, sea service-centric kind of uh, a way, but also being – open to the other services who really think that it is an incredible education, which it is. Um, she's vertically immigrated, integrated uh, technology and leadership and strategic thinking in a way that I don't think any other institution does in the United States, and it's kind of unheralded. Marine Corps University, I mean, what can you say? Uh, Commandant Gray uh, there and and and, uh, and those, there, there is a reason why, on the first page comment gray with a picture of the Osprey in the back of his right. words about, about education and leadership, uh, in a lot, a lot of ways, um, what we were writing about and thinking about, uh, we were thinking about the Marine Corps. And, um, so, uh, ROTC, all the rest. I mean, we, we don't realize what we have. And we, we, if we would just value it, if we, if Admiral Mullen said this at the, uh, at the, uh, Naval, Uh, education board a few weeks ago that I was privileged to present. He said, you know, what if we just took one ship and invested that in education and talent management? What would that do? Um, Pretty amazing thought. Um, Instead of fighting for the dregs of, of uh, it being fungible, that that education and talent management is today in in the budget and has been for a long time. uh, Why not fence that off? The Secretary of Navy can do that. Uh, right. He or she has that power. And so um, I just realize what we have. We have some amazing sons and daughters from America who want to serve. All they want is the opportunity to prove themselves and if they're proven worthy, the chance to lead. And education and talent management are the core of that opportunity that they dream about.
0: So thanks a lot for having me, Bago. Chris, I think you've uh, got your hand up. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, just one last point, and I know we're running up against time. Look, there's going to be a lot of operators that listen to this and they go, hey, I'm worried about two carriers in the East Med. I'm worried about keeping Taiwan from uh, uh, being taken over by the Chinese. I'm trying to keep, uh, you know, Iran out of the straits. I'm trying to prevent a cyber attack. Got it. To me, there you can do both. And when, right. to me, success looks like, and Steve and I have gotten really good at finishing each other's sentences. Uh, over the years but to me success looks like when the two um mash together when when they aren't seen as two competing lines of effort or or budget lines right. when the two enable each other when you you look to education to drive operations and when operations depends heavily on education that to me is what success looks like and for me as somebody that's you know kind of recently retired but still closely follows I don't think we're there yet
0: Uh, I hope uh, that this uh, essay uh, is something uh, that helps uh, move uh, the ground uh, in that uh, direction. Guys, thanks very much uh, for joining us. Steve, thanks very much again uh, for uh, coming on the program and for your submission. Again, check it out uh, online. What is broken about naval education? Uh, And Chris, thanks very much for uh, all you do to help keep uh, the defense and aerospace, the the multiple trains on the defense and aerospace line uh, all on track. Thanks very much to the both of you. Thank you, Vago. Thank you.